Welcome back, Dodecadorks. I guess that's the one we're going with? Uh, we're the 12-sided guys. We have Pine, played by that incredibly handsome middle-aged man, Matt. Hi. Roos, voiced by Mr. Milk and Nature Valley, Scott. <laughs> that's me. Ebby, played by the guy who tried and failed to explain NFTs to me, Jordan. Salutations. Nari, played by the person with the best-looking cosplay out of any of us, Sabrina. Hey there! And everybody else, played by the guy who is almost as handsome as Matt, Paul. We're twins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more the Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's more the Danny DeVito. Oh! <laughs> oh, that's rough, oh. <laughs> That's a low blow. <sighs> Danny DeVito is still working, so... Oh, that's true. I mean... Arnold was just the governor of California. <laughs> so come on to California. Arnold has freaking Chris Pratt as a son-in-law. Mm, beat that. Yeah, Chris Pratt kind of sucks, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for coming along with us on this adventure through Pavantis. If you want more info on the world, like maps and wikis, or some bonus content like Q&As, sometimes inappropriate outtakes, or character sheets, then consider becoming a patron. But of course, rating us five stars and leaving a review online and with your loved ones helps us out a ton. And thank you to everyone that has already done it. But guys, this is it. If you've gotten sick of me talking about Fanex on September 22nd to 24th, 2022, then don't worry. This is the last time you'll hear about it until we recap it. But, but whatevs. Because Fanex is happening this week, if you're listening to us as soon as this comes out. <laughs> yes, this week. <laughs> be there, be square. So come and meet us. Don't forget to hang out with us afterwards on Saturday night. We are so excited to meet you and, oddly enough, each other. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you ever revisited previously liberated provinces all in an attempt to convince two-headed dogs and wyverns to join your army, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 80. That's what we need to do for Tabory. We need to start recruiting some two-headed dogs and wyverns for them. Ah, yes. Nice. You never sent your any of your troops out over walking over mountains looking for uh, two-headed dogs and wyverns? Or the random Birdman? What game was this? Oh, this was Ogre Battle, my friend. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you guys sound so disappointed. Oh, okay, there yeah, you go. I rented it once from Fuzzies, which was the local video rental place in Plainwell, Michigan, and didn't know what I was doing as a little kid and got frustrated and stopped playing. Yep, same here. Uh, but they made Ogre Battle 64, which I have actually gone back and played as an adult. It is a great game. I got hooked into it hard. Sifting through the charred remains of what was once his vast manor house, the rich heavyset man curses under his breath. While only a small section of the house is unsalvageable thanks to the quick response of the venerable Mona, smoke and ash has ruined countless symbols of his status. Carpets, paintings, clothing, musical instruments, all destroyed. Azario, the young butler of Renato Pello, approaches cautiously, his calm expression belying the anxiety in the pit of his stomach. Opening his mouth to address his lord, Azario is preempted by Renato. Let me guess, just the one death, Stavrula in the basement. The only things missing are my deacons. Renato shatters a blackened vase on the ground, then spins to face his servant, his broad face etched with a dark look. He stabs a finger at Azario as commands angrily spit from his scowling jowls. 
but Azario already knows what will be expected of him. Find the fox-eared woman who has been harassing Renato and her new accomplices. Azario looks to his left at Mona, the elderly cook, resting on a stool. She meets his gaze, giving a slight nod. She knows what's coming too, he thinks. Their time playing cook and butler is over in favor of their more specialized skills, the true reason for which Renato paid their hefty wages. It was time to hunt. Their targets, fox ears, the man of Menarest, the red giant June, Pranciful, if that is his real name, and their tarnished deacon. As Renato finished his tirade, Azario gives a slight bow and says, it shall be as you wish, Master Pello. Oh, snap. Well, we're not done. What? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll be quiet. I'll <laughs> shut up. I see what you're, what you're saying. To the northeast at the center of his war camp, King Tenor seethes behind an elaborately carved table draped in maps and documents. After three days of marching, the army has just left Montman Ravine behind as they make their way south towards Terrans Hill, then to crossroads to rendezvous with the remainder of Arkelvy's forces. The deployment was all going according to plan, swimmingly in fact, all except for two very big problems. Grabbing a scroll from atop the table, Tenor studies it again, though there is no need seeing as he wrote these orders. An entire contingent of deacons, 55 in strength, and his two surviving bishops, commanded to be powered down and secured within the bowels of Mason's Keep, his stronghold in Arkelvy. The grinding of Tenor's teeth is audible to the Chamberlain standing just over his shoulder, her wrinkled face a mask of calm as her body tenses in anticipation of her sovereign's next move. Tenor lets the orders fall to the table, then violently scatters the table's contents with a sweep of his arm. After a beat, Tenor regains his composure. That problem is over and dealt with, at least for the time being. Arkelvy's military surely still dwarfs whatever paltry defenses Vonette and Wayfield can muster. It will be a guaranteed victory with enough momentum to crush Kira and Tabori, even without the reinforcements of the deacons or the firepower of the bishops. Grasping his golden cup, Tenor speaks to his chamberlain without turning to look at her. Still no sign of Silas, you say? His voice straining with the effort to appear calm, but the chamberlain can tell explosive anger is imminent. Before she can answer, Tenor continues. If he can't be found, then I see three possible explanations why. One, he's taken to ground and is hiding. Two, maybe he's dead. Either of those would be preferable to the third possibility. That one could ruin us. At last, Tenor turns to look at the Chamberlain, the golden cup crushed in his grip. Wine, possibly mixed with his own blood, runs down his knuckles. If our enemies have him, if they can turn him, and if what he knows gets out, we could lose Terran's duchy and a third of our forces. Tenor hurls the mangled chunk of gold at the Chamberlain's head who having predicted just such a tantrum deftly ducks aside. Find him, Tenor bellows. No stone unturned. Scour the tunnels beneath the city, the basements, the dungeons, the catacombs, even the deepest unmapped places. Whatever it takes, whoever has to die, whatever needs to be done, find Silas. Welcome back to Pavantis, to the Crystal Codex. Last time we were together, there was quite the caper, a heist, if you will. Our um, party was split into two. We had Roos and Ebby, both deacons, or I mean, Ebby's always a deacon or an Ormec, but uh, Roos had taken the shape and the form of one as well. And they had infiltrated the rich man, um, Renato Pello's Manor, in an effort to free his deacons. And there were four of them. It was um, a little bit of shenanigans as they kind of wandered around the manor pretending to be... Zombie? Yeah, they were kind of like zombies, I guess. But after a while, Ebby and Roos ended up down in the basement discovering where the deacons were being held, and um, they started to free them. But 
Stavrula, the guard of Renato Pello, uh, sensing what was going on, came in and a fight ensued. And it was it was close to really, really bad for um, Ebby, as well as those deacons, those Ormex that had been freed. But after um, some of the Ormex were um, cut down, but then brought back to life by Ebby, and then some of them were grabbing Stavrula, and Ebby used a very um, well-placed heat metal spell to make Stavrula drop her sword, uh, they took her down. And after freeing all of the Ormex, they left the manor house after Ebby decided to light it on fire. And um, that is where we left off. Well, during that time, Pine and Nari were not doing nothing. I mean, they were talking and finding skipping rocks and Pine got to use his red candle again. <laughs> Important things. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The distraction that you guys did was the reason we were able to escape. Oh, that's true. That is very true. Yes. And so with help from Pine and Nari on the outside, um, Ebby and Roos and these uh, freed Ormex were able to get out of the house. It was lit on fire and they managed to escape and rendezvous back on the Allele Eagle with the other freed Ormex, as well as their new ally, Dr. Sydney, the woman who used to run the facility where Ebby woke up. The woman who gave me f- a furry fetish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Jordan, how does Ebby feel about our new quote unquote ally? Uh, you know, so Dr. Sydney and Ebby have a bit of a complicated past in that she was the the imperial science researcher that uh, was basically experimenting on the Deacons when Ebby woke up. And uh, if you'll recall from the episode zero that was released a few weeks back, uh, she even chucked a spear at him, (laughs) tried to tackle him (laughs) when he was leaving. So he had no fond uh, feelings for her and, in fact, tried to strangle her the moment he recognized who it was. But uh, to kind of bring everybody up to speed, at least on the current sentiment, Ebby has reluctantly basically realized that she's been working hard to atone for some of her, you know, kind of past uh, ignorance, basically, and recognizes that she is acting differently. He hasn't like it's not like he's fully embraced her in what she's doing now, but I think he's acknowledged that, you know, it's not the same and he's not going to actively seek her ill right now. But I don't know that he'll really trust her a whole lot. Gotcha. Well, very good. Well, we actually join Nari and the boys as they are aboard the Allele Eagle. And thanks to directions from Dr. Sydney herself, um, they are on their way to the old Ormec facility where Ebby, um, where he woke up. Now, Sydney had already informed you, and I don't um, remember, know if you remember this from a couple episodes ago, um, but the... During the shattering, um, apparently the facility was um, covered by rock slides, avalanches, that kind of thing. And it is now currently buried under rubble. Did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is going to take me a while to come back from. Oh, Laura, my pet. Anyway. Paula, can we turn this into a Family Matters podcast, please? (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the second daughter? As far as uh, Sydney informed you, um, the scavengers have um, 
located the facility and have taken it over, um, looking for um, ancient tech and some of the imperial uh, kind of crystal tech and and machinery that had been uh, had been there before. So she is taking you now to the facility, and we join Nari and the boys aboard the beleaguered illegal illegal eagle. You did that in one go. Good job. <laughs> Solid, man. Sure does feel good to be home. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I've attempted that um, on the podcast, I think. <laughs> how, so how long has passed since we left uh, Pelos Manor in flames? Um, as far as walking here, it would take about two days, mo- mo- the better part of two days. Um, and so you figure that's about, you know, 40 miles or so. Um, so flying, you guys can get there in about half a day. So you left probably pretty quickly after Pelos Manor um, caught on fire. And um, you can be there as early as basically the afternoon um if that's how you want to do this or you can hang out and you know heal up and talk before you go over to the facility that's kind of up to you i mean i i'm fine i didn't use any spell slots or the only thing i can't do is cast daylight with my red candle anymore uh, until i take another long rest so i'm fine heading straight there <laughs> i too after doing such strenuous work am fine to uh continue going <laughs> I think I could use a, a rest. I mean, I burned some spell slots and took some damage, so roosted as well. Yeah, you guys got hit pretty hard. She was hitting you guys pretty hard until you guys made her drop her sword. Yeah, she was. Okay, we can take we can take our time heading there. All right. So, do you guys want to try to get there like that night, or do you guys want to wait like basically a whole day and get there the next morning? It's up to you. I mean, I think however long it takes us to get a long rest in so everybody's feeling good yeah no point in dilly dallying but i think honestly arriving a cover of night might be actually be beneficial we might not attract as much attention from the scavengers okay so you guys are flying um over trees and forest and you can see the mountains kind of coming closer and closer as you continue to head west towards the glass mountains, um, is there anything anybody wants to do as the sun starts to go down and the moon is up in the sky? Just a few clouds, but for the most part, a clear night. This is as we're arriving, right? Yeah, I mean, or you know, or or as you are, you know, an hour out or so. If you guys want to have any kind of conversations or anything, I feel like Ebby's going to mostly be quiet and just kind of brooding to himself. Pine will actually um, like to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Sydney. Okay. Roos has something he wants to ask Nari as well. Well, Pine, why don't you, uh, you see Dr. Sydney standing at the, uh, at the gunnel looking out uh, over the forest and uh, looking uh, west towards the facility where she had um, spent so many years uh, working her, working her magics. So, Dr. Sidney, you spent many years there working your magics. I did. What are some things we might um, ex- expect to find there? What kind of technologies did you have there? What are some of the capabilities of this facility? This facility, so the facility where I um, was working with the, the Deacon program, with the Ormex, was it was actually an imperial facility built over the top of an ancient ruin that we had found that was actually buried beneath the earth. So um, I worked more in the 
in the newer areas, the um, the actual imperial areas. But the deacons in, uh, sorry, the Ormex down below were um, they were brought up to to us, where we would clean them and try to make sure that they were not damaged in any way. Where we tried to power them on. Um, so as far as as far as the facility, I'm not sure how much of it is still intact, but there is a, a level where we actually did the work of trying to power on the Ormex, and that is at the top. Um, it's on the, the top floor of the facility. Um, below that, there were some offices, um, as well as a room where we would clean and, and, and repair any... Um, some of the some of the Ormex that we found were in worse shape than others, and so you know, uh, she kind of looks around to make sure Ebby's not nearby. She says, "So, some of the some of the Ormex that seemed to be in worse shape were y- used for parts. Um, mm. An arm from this one to fit better onto this one that you know didn't take such a a beating that that time hadn't ravaged so badly, and that was all done on the." Uh, the next floor down, there was an entry room. There were some offices, and then, um, yes, that was a uh, that was basically where I was. As far as as far as equipment and things, I I don't think that much of what we had there as an imperial facility still would be there in any kind of form that I would have known it. Because I can guarantee you that any crystal tech that was left out, the scavengers have already used for their own uses, or they have. Uh, run off with them and sold them whatever they do. Okay, um, that all makes sense. You said that there was um, uh, an ancient facility underneath the the facility, the imperial facility. How intact was that? Did you ever go down there? I did go down there. Down there, let's see. There was a um, a shaft that was um, there was an ancient lift. Um, that um, we were able to uh, utilize and and actually um, go down hundreds and hundreds of feet below the earth, and there we found the remains of the facility. It was it was actually quite intact. What we saw it was, I mean, it was it was built to basically like a fortress to withstand anything that could be thrown at it. The awe-inspiring part of that facility. Besides the vast vault full of Ormex, the the most awe-inspiring thing was the machinery in the room right before the vault. It was amazing. Cogs and wheels, massive machinery lining the walls, still spinning, still grinding away perfectly with very little, if any, rust or or stutter or hiccup it just all moved in such synchronicity still it was truly awe-inspiring yeah i really like that police album too <laughs> the you know synchronicity okay <laughs> what's the main what's the what's the um, what's the main single off of that album I don't know. I I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Name five songs or you're not a real fan. Roxanne. Was that on Synchronicity too? I have no clue. Spotify has ruined me for albums. I don't know. I just know what songs I like. But there was a machine. There was some some sort of um, uh, 
podium, some sort of contraption that ran some tech that was beyond my understanding. And the others who were um, of a similar skill, a similar rank in the um, in the Imperial uh, Research Division as I was, they too could not figure it out. But but again, I was not working on the ancient facilities so much as working on the ancient beings that we found down there. Okay, well that all makes sense. I wonder if um, well, that's uh, it's Ebby's thing to share. But in Pine's mind, he's thinking maybe Neum might have an idea of what all that stuff would do if we were able to get down there. Well, thank you for sharing that. I had one more question for you. We've heard a rumor that there could have been a similar ancient facility underneath the very city of Almar. Have you heard anything of that? Um, yes, and, and there is. In fact, if, if the scavengers have not managed to break my lock on my office, I, I put an arcane lock on my office. I actually was not in the facility when the earth shattered. I was actually away in Almar. But um, I locked my office magically as best I could. If they have not managed to get into my office, I actually have a map in there that shows where the different facilities are. But if the scavengers have managed to get into my office, then um, all bets are off. I don't think it was scavengers. I think it was JV team. (laughs) Well, that'd be legit. Is nobody else freaking out right now? That's amazing. That would legit be amazing. The key, the key. They got the key. It was a key. Yeah, but we don't have any connection to the JV team. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) How are we going to do a crossover episode? (laughs) I'm Hop and also Nari. (laughs) We'll have to see if that ever does happen. I guess I guess Nari has to survive long enough to actually meet up with Hop. (laughs) That's all I got. Um, I think that's a threat. Yeah, that that made me very uncomfortable, Paul. (laughs) Well, good. I'm very good at making women uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's all I got for Sydney. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so, Roos, you wanted to talk to Nari as you guys are flying over these uh, over these trees. Yeah. So Roos will approach Nari. Uh, What what would Nari be doing as we're flying? I think Nari would primarily be kind of just watching over the new um, Ormex that we've acquired, making sure everybody's kind of getting settled in, making sure things go smoothly since she's feeling pretty good. So Ruth will approach her as she's um, over, overlooking the uh, Ormex and say, I can't help but think of uh, Tabory and... Queen Kira and the war that's probably starting soon. I don't know, something... I guess I'm, I'm feeling doubtful that I made the right choice leaving. Who am I to assume that I am the type of person that could go and save the world instead of being there with my sister when she needs me? I'm just looking for some, some advice, some support on this, I guess, because you knew Kira well. Nari will kind of put her hand on Roos's shoulder and say, I understand that feeling, but (laughs) who are we to say that if we would have stayed behind in Tabory, we would have saved the city either. I think we have to go where, well, we have to go where our need is greatest. And I have full faith that Kira will be able to handle 
anything that comes at, at her. I know she's a tough lady. There's something else on my mind too, that I, I don't really know how the right way to bring it up, but I feel like you're just as much my sister as she is. But if something ever happened and you two don't stay together, I, I just want you to know that it wouldn't affect my relationship with you. I, I appreciate that. Um, obviously, Kira will always have a, a place in my heart. Uh, she's an amazing and wonderful person, but I, I agree, Bruce. You and I, we've gone through so much. I think of you as far closer to a brother, <laughs> maybe even more of a brother than, than my own brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I didn't really know Kira all that well. She left when I was when I was pretty young, and uh, I mean I've always had an admiration for her, but but I just don't know her as well personally as I do you. Anyway, I, I'm not trying to pry in on your relationship or whatever. Um, if you're on a break, if you're off a break, you know that sort of thing. It's not my business. I just I just want you to know that <laughs> we're still good. Whatever happens. I appreciate that. Um, no, Kira, Kira made it pretty clear we are uh, we are on a break. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I miss her and I respect her and I love her immensely, but but it changes nothing between you and me. I have only the highest respect for you. Likewise. I appreciate that, Reese. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. Nari will kind of do a little double pat on his shoulder since he's a little <laughs> bit smaller than her. <laughs> a lot of it smaller than her. A lot of it. <laughs> that really says something about Roos's character, though, because she can get past the uh, the fashion and the mustache and still have a bunch of respect for him. <laughs> <laughs> you guys continue your... Um, trek uh, as you fly over the forest um, you can see the mountains getting closer and closer and as um, you guys are kind of planning on uh, talking about what's what's going to happen and what to expect um, pine you suddenly in your head you hear a voice and it's a voice that you recognize okay it sounds a lot like librarian formerly magister colbury Sweet. And it says, Gem and I found more about Almar. Two places with ties to the ancients, Eudoxia and the gallery. Both have ancient tunnels beneath them. And that is 25 words. Okay. Uh, Pine will respond out loud, loud enough so that everybody who's kind of near him will be able to hear it. And he'll say, Eudoxia, the gallery. I understand. We uh, stopped in Calta. That's eight. That's only eight words so far. Man, I'm good at this. Yeah, you're doing great, Pine. <laughs> Mr. Ver Verbose. He learned his lesson when he was trying to write that one note uh, many episodes <laughs> yes. ago. You know, you could use a word that my Texan grandparents used to use, which was used to could. <laughs> <laughs> which i think jeff foxworthy used to make fun of oh man well you've got uh 17 words left exploring the facility where deacons came from making our way to almar after four more words 
Any news on Silas? Um, as you finish your message, you get another message um, back, almost like it was just waiting for your response. And then it says, tread carefully. Followers of Iramil are more dangerous and militant in Almar. Organized. Lastly, Almar's true ruler is some unknown entity other than the Senate. And that is 25 words. Don't worry. We will bust cultists' heads. <laughs> Sharpening sword now. We will bathe in their impure blood and filth. <laughs> oh, man. Fill our furrows. I feel like it should be more like a text, like a character limit, so you can be like, thank Ebby. you. <laughs> you guys all hear Pine. Ebby is standing there just nodding vigorously during all this, like, yes, yes. <laughs> Roos turns to Sydney. Sometimes he just like busts out in song. This is a first. I've never really heard him talk like this before randomly. Let their impure blood fill our furrows. <laughs> It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> and that's 25 words. <laughs> Pine Pine is like, you remember Christopher Lee from The Lord of the Rings, the guy that played Saruman? Yes. Did you oh, know yeah. that he was in a death metal yes. group? <laughs> as, like a, as like a 70-year-old man, and he was a death metal singer. Uh, that's amazing. That's so great. Yeah, I oh imagine gosh. Pine is that man. Oh, man. So as soon as those messages are over... And and Pine has uh, you know basically quoted the the French national anthem to to uh, uh, um, Colbury. Uh, he'll find uh, the rest of the party and explain. Um, I just heard news from Colbury. Apparently, they've been able to track down um, quite a bit of information. Uh, he said that there's there's news of uh, ancient facility or tunnels at least under the gallery and under. Um, the, a place called Eudoxia. Sydney nods and she goes, oh, yes, the, the university. Yes, Eudoxia University. Okay. Right. Is that where they tell people your real names? Because you, Eudoxia. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think Eudoxia actually may have been an, an empress. Um, I think that may actually be like a, an empress from a culture long, long ago. Okay. In, in in IRL, yeah, I think it was from the Neverending Story. Actually, <laughs> the uh, Empress Eudoxia. I thought I thought she she needed a name. She needed somebody to dox her. Yeah, exactly. That's where it comes from. The childlike Empress. Isn't that what he oh. screamed out at the very end before the nothing took everything? Eudoxia. Yeah, he gets up there and he's like <laughs> Eudoxia. Yeah. No, this is a university in Almar. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Stay I'm on sorry. task, you guys. Stay on task. Hey, hey, Paul. Turn around and tell me what you see. That's all I can say about that. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, um, Sydney nods though. She says, Yes, yeah, uh, Eudoxia University. Yes. They also um they also gave us a warning. They said that the, the followers of Iramil are much more organized in the city of Alma, so we need to be on our guard. And then to that I think you may have heard what I said. <laughs> bravado. Lots of bravado. It was, it was quite the threat. <laughs> As it should be. Well, I can, I can second the warning. Um, before uh, fleeing from Almar to rendezvous with all of you in Tabory, that was my experience, is that the 
the cultists that were located there were aware of my presence and actually acting to counteract me. Um, I don't have any direct, you know, there were no direct overt threats per se, but there was something that changed. Uh, something was more organized, something was more sinister, and it was directly aware of my efforts to try to find and liberate whatever Ormex I could locate. I mean, we know that uh, Iramil was able to send a prophet exactly to where we were to deliver a message. So I think uh, maybe we're being more closely watched than we would have considered earlier. We should be on our guard. He also said that um, apparently the Senate doesn't truly rule things in Almar, that there's a... He said it was interesting. Instead of saying some unknown person or unknown power, he said unknown entity is actually in charge of Almar. That's suspicious. An entity, yeah, as in a non-human or as in like a cabal or some group? Or an LLC. I don't know. (laughs) 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 You guys would know that um, the city-states of Rakolia, each city is basically its own nation. um, And that Almar, the city, is kind of their their capital. It is ruled by um, a Senate of representatives from each of the different city-states. And so apparently the Senate does not have as much power. I mean, no, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's an unknown entity, actually. But uh, if we don't visit the Senate and see some Chewbacca's and some ETs, I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs) Will I get to talk about how democracy dies to the sound of thunderous applause? Oh my gosh. Are we just quoting episode two, the worst of, of them all? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Worst of them all? I Your mean. Your skin is softer than the sand, m'lady. That wasn't a real quote. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real quote, but it's still, I mean, close enough. As you guys continue flying um, to the west, you guys see there is, um, uh, it starts to get, the the land starts to kind of rise up a little bit, get a little bit rockier. As Sydney is looking out, as the sun is setting, it's starting to get dark. She kind of points out ahead and she says, there, there's where it, where it is. And um, any of you guys can make perception or investigation checks from the, the gunnel looking over the side of the Alil Eagle. Pine rolled an 11 perception check. Nari rolled a 17. Roos got a 23. And Ebby got a 24 perception. Um, Ebby and Roos, as you guys are looking over, you can see, actually, um, it looks like there is, um, you know, in the dim light, you can see what looks like a path. Um, uh, uh, I was going to say well-worn, um, but not like an actual like dirt road, but you can see like wagon tracks moving um, kind of into this little gully. And uh, they kind of turn as they get into this gully and head north. And then you can see just the, the, the faintest outline of what looks like some sort of a, of a wooden um, fence or a, actually a wooden palisade. Yeah, uh, go figure. Is it, a, is it a fern gully? It is not a fern gully. <laughs> Man, we are on a roll tonight, guys. I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can actually see just the, the 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 barest kind of indication of some kind of a wooden fence or a wooden kind of a wooden wall um, around this small section of the uh, of the gully of this uh, this little um, uh, opening in the uh, in the rocks. It's been ten years. 
I don't recognize any of this. I mean, the shattering made work of everything, but even still. Yeah, Sydney turns to you, um, Ebby, and she says, I don't recognize this either, but um, this is where it, where it is. Um, you know, the, the whole face of the land was changed. As you are talking, then um, Daffodil, who I guess has been piloting the, the airship, <laughs> comes up and says, um, I, I can get you closer, or if you want to approach stealthy, we can drop you off here, and it should be about a mile walk into that area. But it's up to you. I can, I can get you closer. We can do a mile walk. We should probably try to be stealthy. And Daffodil, can I just say that I'm truly impressed with all the additional skills that we've put on your shoulders that you've taken to just wholeheartedly. I can't, I can't. Oh, yeah, somewhere she got like a big hat with a big feather in it and everything. <laughs> yeah, she's like all about being the captain of this uh, airship I, I gave, I, No quiet quitting from you, Daffodil. <laughs> I, gave her the, I gave her the hat from my rich guy disguise, I think is what it is. <laughs> yes, that's right. Can we say that her numbers are C110 and we just call her Sid sometimes? <laughs> we already have a Sid. But we already have a Sid. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have a Sid who's an engineer. You do. <laughs> <laughs> there guys a little peek behind the scene a little way back in session zero i'm like okay hmm 90s video games um well final fantasy's always had a sid who was an engineer i know dr sydney there you go that's awesome okay <laughs> so daffodil actually um she stops the airship and um a ladder um is uh descended for you guys to climb down and as you guys are waiting to descend this ladder um sydney looks at you and says do you, do you want me to come with you? Oh, by all means. Yeah, it might be helpful to have you, um, someone who knows the facility. <sighs> she, she I knows. don't fully trust you, but I do agree that having someone with greater familiarity would be quite useful. Bruce was staring at Abby to see if he could read him, but then realized that he's a robot and doesn't make facial expressions <laughs> <laughs> all right well very good okay um she nods she she says i i appreciate the trust that you have placed in me let's go see what's left and uh then she starts climbing down the ladder as before pine starts climbing the ladder he'll say to daffodil most likely we'll send word through amarok as usual so be waiting for that uh Fuzzy little guy to come say hi. <laughs> okay, very good. You all descend the ladder down into the forest, and it doesn't take long before you find that wagon, kind of the wagon tracks leading leading up towards this um, kind of this wooden wall uh, that has been kind of fenced off. Does it look like like Mad Max villains fenced it off, or like it's remnants from before the shattering? Oh, no, no, this is definitely new. This is definitely new um, uh, construction. Like, since the shattering. Is there anyone, like, guarding it? From this vantage point, you can't tell. But as you guys approach, we'll say you guys get relatively close, um, but you're kind of still kind of in, like, the uh, kind of the, I was going to say tree line, but it's not really trees here. It's more just like bushes that have started to grow up here. Uh, it's still all too soon after all the calamity of uh, the rock slides and things. You're able to kind of go from like bush to bush and from rock to, you know, other like a shrubbery, that kind of thing. Um, and you get 
relatively close to the um, to this wooden wall. It looks like it is basically tree trunks that have been cut down, and uh, but it looks like they're all pretty much cut to a uniform height. They've been like sharpened to a point. Um, it looks pretty well built and pretty solid. Um, and as you get to kind of this point where you're, I don't know, you're maybe like 50, 60 feet away, um, you, you look uh, forward and you can actually see that um, there are some crystals um, that are set in the um, in the wall that are giving off some light to light up the area around this wooden wall. And you can see that um, there is an opening and a wagon um, has been pulled in front of the opening as kind of a makeshift gate. Um, if you guys want to make any kind of perception checks to see what else you can see, uh, go ahead and do that now. Nari rolled an 18. Oh, Jesus, Scott. <laughs> Roos got a, a, a nat 20 for a 31. Hein rolled a 19 and ended up with just a 23, like a chump. <laughs> yeah, Ebby also got an 18. Oh, man. Okay, so you guys can roll perception checks like a champ, but your insight checks are terrible. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, so um, anyone who got over a 20, and especially you... Uh, so here's what I'll say. Pine, looking at this, um, you're you're got the military background, um, so you are very good at assessing defenses and that kind of thing. Um, this is um, definitely easily defensible, um, and you can even hear... Um, movement behind the this wooden wall. Um, uh, Roos, with your 31, your natural 20. Can we say Squire peaked and then like came and whispered to me? (laughs) (laughs) Sure thing. Roos, you are so humble that you are constantly giving all your good roles to other people and letting them take the credit. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so then Squire comes sneaking back to you all like, you know, overly dramatic tiptoeing and um, he holds up five fingers. And so you, with your perception check, you were able to tell that there are actually five defenders on the other side of this wall. It does not seem like anyone has noticed you. Nobody has called um, out or anything like that. Um, and you are standing here at kind of this southern, uh, you're just outside of the light of the crystals, um, kind of assessing this wall and the, the gate that is blocked by a wagon. Squire says there's five on the other side of that gate. Do you think we can lure them out? Have you got an idea for a diversion? Abby usually does pretty good diversions. Either burning stuff, or turning into some (laughs) kind of robot animal and running through town. I'd be happy to burn things. Do you want me to burn this? Burn something? I'll burn it right now. Well, real quick, um, we did 31 perception. One thing I forgot to tell you. He also indicates that... um, I was going to say that you see like the glint of um, starlight shining on metal, but um, basically Squire whispers in your ear, automatons, five mechanical beings, constructs. Squire, they're called Ormex. He shakes his head. No. Oh, shoot. Are we going to have to fight walking anvils again? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Those guys kept knocking me down. But you got up again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're never going to keep you down. I've heard that. (laughs) I did have a cider drink. Yes. So Squire says that that they're not Ormex, that there's some sort of other automaton like those anvil things. So maybe less intelligent. Maybe, um, maybe easier to trick, to confound. I'm out of ideas. (laughs) 
Well, there is a clear opening, but it looks like this wall, I mean, it would be scalable. I mean, the, the timbers are probably about maybe 12 feet tall. So, um, you know, I mean, jumping up and grabbing the top is going to be hard for anybody except for probably Nari. But um, like the average person would, would, you know, be able to like toss a rope over or something like that. What if we did, you know, again, way back, classic, you know, classic Nari and the boys. If we did um, some spider butt rope. well. Could we tell where, like, the entrance to the facility is? Was Squire able to obtain that info? We'll say with the 31 perception, Squire... I mean, Squire can't just, like, win the game for you. <laughs> I was just I was just flavoring the, the nice perception check. <laughs> it's all good. Give, give Squire a sword and let him go stab everything. that reminds me of the time like the first time i played through skyrim and then you had to be alduin at the top of the world thing um and i had shadow mirror do it because i was not strong enough and shadow mirror just killed him nice (laughs) (laughs) are those rocks on the west side up here yes yeah it's like basically like it's like a horseshoe shape of rock that you can see um and then this this wooden wall is kind of uh kind of the uh kind of a semicircle sticking out that's kind of what you what you imagine it is does that look more easily scalable than the no okay what well, so we could do we could do some spider butt rope nari i know that you don't love the whole spider butt rope thing i probably could jump but i can also vibe with spider butt rope if that's the the best thing i just i think that we should position ourselves either in the most difficult to see spot and or closest to the facility entrance although i'm assuming they probably have people guarding that i assume the automatons are probably maybe they may maybe combat but they also just may be a warning system to to summon the others so we probably want to avoid alerting them or even drawing them out because it probably would just draw even more to them I can have Squire make it hard for hard for them to see us. He can hide our tracks. Um, Sydney reaches into her bag and she pulls out a couple of crystals. She says, "I've, I've got two of these that I mean, I can I can make two of us invisible. Well, one at a time." I'm not very stealthy. That might be very helpful. What she says, but just I, I I don't know what kind of run-ins you've had with scavengers in the past, but just be aware they. They're butchers, and I don't just mean of people. I mean of tech. They they take the tech they find and they repurpose it and they bastardize it. So whatever's on the other side of that wall, if it is if it is tech, if it is a construct of some kind, don't expect it to be meek. Well, what if what if we were to make our way up the um, the palisade using the spider butt rope? Somewhere outside of view as much as we can. And then maybe I could have Amarok create some sort of a disturbance outside the fence here. If that draws them out of the palisade, then we might be able to just close the gate and lock them out. Do they have a gate? I assume that since they were using a uh, cart, that's the best they have. Oh, I guess it's a cart. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a wagon pulled in front. Right. But I do think that's a great idea. It'll at least give us some time. Well, let's do it. I'm tired of waiting. I want to see what's inside here. Squire, can you hide our tracks while we start climbing? He gives you a big thumbs up. 
I like that squire dude. <laughs> Let's be about it. Which side do you think? Should we head off towards the uh, to the left here, off to the west? Or should we make our way around to the east side of the palisade? Back in my day, I was called the Blossoming Storm of the Western Sky, so... Oh, you don't say. Oh, I've never heard this story before. Would you like to recount the whole thing? <laughs> so there I was. No, uh... So just for our listeners, just so you guys get an idea, this wooden wall is about it's about 100 feet across is all. So this opening um, that is being protected is about 100 feet across. And right about in the middle is where the wagon is blocking the entrance. Um, so it's not a, a, a super um, a super large uh, walled in area. And again, the wooden wall is basically a half circle that butts right up against the the side of these rocks. Um, so it's like it's like a wooden wall that butts up against a cliff face. Let's start climbing. Let's do it. Ebby starts to kind of transfigure and turn into this robotics uh, spider now as they start making their way. Animorph. Yeah. And I'll leave I'll leave Amarok here out on the outskirts to try to see if we can't cause a ruckus somehow. OK. And you are going to skirt around to the west. Yeah, that's. Why don't you make a stealth check? Remember, you get to use the spider's stealth plus the plus 10 from the uh, from the uh, um, pass without a trace. Dope. Let's do this. The squire is following you with like a big broom and like sweeping <laughs> off the tracks. So Ebby, Ebby rolled a 33 with the plus 10. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I was just looking at the passive perception and it's like, oh, one of them's got a passive perception of 10. The other one's got a passive, passive perception of 14. Yeah. Okay. So, Ebby, you start to climb up um, over. Are you going on the like the cliff face and going over this over the wooden wall? Or are you just going right over the wooden wall? I think whatever looks like it'll help kind of make the uh, an easier climb with the rope, but still be off to the side enough to not be visible. Yeah, yeah. The, the wooden wall would definitely be um, would be preferable. Um, you start to scale up over the wall. I'm going to move your token just a little bit so you get a better view. As you scale up over the top of the wall, you get to the top, and here we have Spider Ebby, who is this mechanical um, spider. And as you look down into this kind of this, uh, it's kind of a oval shape opening. Um, one side, like the southern side, is this half circle of of uh, of wood, and then the kind of the north side is this natural half circle of cliff. You can see down into this little gully that there is a couple of tents that are set up you can see that um, on the north end up by the cliff face uh, there is a uh, looks like a a recently well not necessarily recently but an uncovered staircase um, stone staircase that is going down into the earth you can see there's supplies that are stacked up around but you can also see that going around this camp you see these strange constructs Um, i'm going to have a Ebby, you are going to make a perception check. Sure. Let's give it a shot. I hate those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the spiders are gnarly. The other ones I almost thought were kind of cute. They look a lot like praying mantises. They kind of do, but they've got those cute bug eyes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ebby got a 24 on his perception roll. 
So what you see as you're looking down in here, you do see um, five of these constructs. They're not very big. They're like the size of like uh, like a large dog. They're not like man size or bigger. They're nothing hulking or anything like that. But you see three of them are moving around very similar to Ebby. They are moving around like spiders. They don't look like you, but they have like like eight legs. Um, they are kind of copper and brass um, and they are kind of just moving back and forth and it looks like they're just patrolling this wall. The two other ones that you see um, also have multiple legs, only four of them. And then they have kind of this, they have kind of this weird head. Um, and then they have these like throwing arms, these little throwing arms. And it looks like they have some sort of a, a spear in one arm. It also looks like they have some beats by Dre on their head. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the token that I found that most closely approximated the vision I had of these of these constructs. Um, with your 24 perception, Ebby, as you're looking at these constructs, you look at one of these spiders that's kind of the closest to you. It's about 15, 20 feet away um, and you recognize it or at least you recognize parts of it. It looks like this spider and the other constructs in here have been made from cannibalized pieces of Ormex, of Ebby's people. Oh, what? So legs of these spiders might very well be sort of the, the two bones of uh, like a fibula tibia type of a setup like, like Ebby has. Oh, man. They are basically, if you were a human, these would be like Frankenstein monsters. But because they're all constructs and you are a construct as well, it's, they look like machines to anybody else. So I, you guys might hate me for this, but I think I'm going to have Ebby do a will save right now. No, that checks out. I was actually curious to see like if we noticed Ebby's reaction. Well, Abby's in spider form, so it's hard to read him. His uh, his little his two little pinkies over his anus start clicking really, really, really quickly. <laughs> I don't like that, y'all. Oh my god, there's a spider on my ceiling right now. Oh gosh. <laughs> Are his anus pinkies clicking really furiously? <laughs> Do they call it an anus? Anus pinkies. Yeah. I'm going back to like episode, episode like seven. We talked about pinkies covering the, 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 the hole for the butt rope. <sighs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, Sabrina, you should kill that thing, whatever it is. I just did. I, I killed that spider and it's on my ceiling. Squish. <laughs> Fantastic. As a, as a, th as a, a threat to any other spiders, I might try to invade your, your home. Right. So, Ebby, do you want to tell me what you're about to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking, Paul, of doing a DC 15 wisdom save to see if I can avoid kind of just starting to engage and try to kill these things. Yeah, go for it. No, that's great. And I, I, I rolled a 23. So Ebby is able to retain his cool long enough to not, you know, try to just fling into battle and start killing stuff. I think, um, Abby, I think that one of the things that helps you make that save is as you're looking at these these uh, these uh, monstrosities, basically, um, you recognize that the parts that make you and that make the other Ormex actual living sentient beings, it looks like they've been left out. The uh, crystalline matrix in your chest, uh, 
um, you don't see where it would even fit in any of these. It's probably not, um, you know, you know, these would not be, they wouldn't require it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. These are, these are not your people anymore, right? They've just been used for parts. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I'm going to lower the rope down. And I think while that is going, I'm going to have Amarok swing out to the other side, to the Eastern side. and. Once we're ready, I'm going to have him do some actions to see if we can't draw some attention away. Okay, perfect. Well, then um, you've got the rope down and you are on top of the wall, which means now there is a way for everyone to get in. Why don't we go ahead and roll some initiative? Did you also want us to roll uh, stealth checks? Uh, Yeah, I'll have you roll those as we as we get going with the initiative. Yeah. Okay, well, Nari rolled a three for her initiative, so. Ooh, I thought I did bad. I got a five. Ebby got a 12. And Pine got a 10. And Amarok rolled a 15. We have Dr. Sid, who (laughs) rolled a natural one. We are going to start initiative, and first what we are going to do is we're going to, at this point, we're going to use the passive perceptions of the constructs. The first to go are these spider constructs, and they continue moving back and forth in their kind of predetermined movements. And the next ones to go are these other constructs, these kind of weird bulbous head ones that have, it looks like a spear. The Beats by Dre ones. <laughs> yes, the Beats by Dre ones. Abby, as you are looking in at them, you can see that their bodies are perfectly still. The only thing moving is their head as it moves back and forth, 180 degrees, side to side. And Amarok, it is your turn. Okay, here's here's kind of what I'm hoping to do. It kind of requires Abby, I think. Oh, let me see. I need to look at exactly how this works. There's the ability for my familiar to basically use a touch spell allowing me to use a touch magic spell through my familiar since that'll be on my turn here's what i'm gonna have amarok start doing on his turn he is just gonna be over there on the far side of the tree and he's just gonna be like hey oh i'm a human definitely a human over here hanging out by the tree just a normal old guy out hanging by this tree over here is he going to sing about fishing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's just going to start kind of causing a ruckus and being very loud, as loud as he can be. Um, I also want him to be invisible for as long as he can be, but just causing a ruckus. As uh, Amarok starts to uh, starts to speak and make noise, um, Ebby, you see that the spider constructs don't change their pattern, but the two kind of bulbous head ones, um, we'll call them um, harpooners. They've turned their heads directly towards the sound of Amarok, uh, and um, they don't move, but they are locked in on his location. And uh, Ebby, as you're watching, they're looking directly at where Amarok would be, but they're looking straight like at the wall. Does that make sense? So they're aware of him. Okay. Um, Ebby, it is now your turn. You are still in spider form. Okay, I'll I'll leave spider form as my, I think, bonus action. Okay, are you on the far side of the wall now, or are you you still on the top of the, kind of on the top, balancing on top of the wood? 
Uh, I probably will have dropped down Okay. at this point. Yeah, you will say that that happened before we, we did initiative. No problem. Is the butt rope still like hanging like between your cheeks? <laughs> uh, totally. 100%. <laughs> Abby's like, dang it, every time. Anyway, he's going to go ahead and use his uh, cantrip uh, Artarian's Glow. And it's a touch spell, but he's going to cast it through, like vicariously through Amarok. Okay. And it's you touch one object that is no larger than 10 feet in any dimension. Until the spell ends, the object sheds bright light in a 20 foot radius and dim light for an additional 20 feet. The light can be colored as you like. In this case, it's going to be colored kind of an orangish glow, like a campfire. Okay. Completely covering the object with something opaque blocks the light. The spell ends if you cast it again or dismiss it as an action. In this case, it's just going to be like a rock or twig on the ground. Okay. Uh, wherever like a campfire would be. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Something giving off some light. Okay. Um, close by to, to Amarok then, I'm sure. So kind of more here on the east side, um, on the uh, other side of the, of the uh, wooden wall. Yeah, my hope is that I draw their attention that direction and hopefully they go that direction, which either gives us an opportunity to sneak in or something. Okay, perfect. All right, Pine, it is your turn and I need, now at this point, if you're going to move, I need you to make a stealth check. All right, so with Squire Hide My Tracks, uh, I got a 27. Nice. So, yeah, so Pine's just basically going to move up to the butt rope, 5, 10, 15, 20 and up and over the wall. We'll say that you can get to the other side of the wall and drop down and that's all of your movement. Okay, I'm a cool right there. Yeah, that's fine, yeah, yeah, perfect. And you can see the same thing. You can see as you move in, I mean, you are so quiet. Um, it's it's almost like as you're walking, it's like um, Squire is like right behind you. Like every step you take, he's like putting his hand down so you can step on his hand instead of stepping on the ground. Every move you make. Yes, exactly. And you can see these uh, these five constructs as well. I'll be watching you. <laughs> <laughs> do you have an action and a bonus action? You want to do anything? Um, for my action, I'm going to hold a dash, actually. So um, as soon okay. as I see some of these creatures clearing out or their attention, attention, you know, thoroughly diverted, I am going to um, take the dash. Well, you can see that these two um, these two uh, uh, harpooners, their heads are swiveled um, like uh, kind of to the south uh, east um, over in the direction of Amrock, who is continuing to say, I'm a human. I, uh, you know, my body doesn't have that much hair on it, as much hair as it should, you know, that kind of thing, whatever Amrock would say. <laughs> I, got sh- I got sharp teeth and flat teeth so I can eat all kinds of things. Thumbs are super cool. Check out these thumbs, wiggling them around. Yes, yeah, so, but uh, I, I, yeah, their their attention is diverted. I guess I would hope to see them move because one of them seems to be about fifteen feet from where I'm at currently, and I don't want to. Uh, one of them is about fifteen feet from you. The other one is uh, further on, like another twenty or thirty feet from them, standing right in front of the staircase that is going down into the into the cliff face. That's my turn. Okay, cool. Um, Roos, it is your turn. I need you to make a stealth check. Yeah, Roos is going to do just about the same as what Mr. Pine did. Climb up and jump over the other side. Oh, no. I rolled really poorly. I got a 10, so then a 20 for my stealth. Actually, I'm going to do my class feature and roll a D8, and so add another 3. So I got a 23 on my stealth. 
All right, and you climb up over the wall and you kind of drop in next to Ebby. Um, you can now see um, these tents. You can see the wagon on the inside. You can see these constructs moving around. And that is your move. You have a bonus action and an action. You kind of duck, at this point, you're kind of ducked down behind one of the tents. And as you can see kind of the edges of these constructs, but you can't, they, you're, you don't have a direct line of sight to them at this point. If you stood up, you could though. Okay. So for the rest of his turn, he's just going to kind of be scouting for the easiest path to get past these guys without having to actually fight them. Yeah, it looks like um, getting past the spiders might be really easy. It's the harpooners that look like they might be a bigger challenge. They're not moving, and the one is standing right in front of the staircase down. Okay. If that is your turn, then Nari, I'm going to have you make a stealth check. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So Nari rolled a 10, but she is also going to use a little bit of extra help and roll another D8 because that was really bad. Oh, nice. Okay. So uh, Nari got an 18 for stealth. Plus 10 for the pass without a trace. So 28. Sweet. Oh, but also you you have to make that with disadvantage because you have... No, wait, no, never mind. You're wearing Mithril now. Never mind. No, no, yeah, you're right. She doesn't make it to this event. She's wearing, not Mithril, she's wearing Adamantine. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. You got Adamantine. Ooh, so go ahead and make it one more time. Heckin' heck. That's not worse, so we're fine. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I think Nari will kind of follow the same thing that um, Ruth and Pine did and basically just kind of hop over the fence and hold her action until um, something attacks her and she's... Where she's needed. Perfect. Last but not least, we have Sydney. Dr. Sydney is going to make a stealth check. Oh my gosh. Is she intentionally trying to sabotage this? Um, she rolled a natural one. Let's see. Her. So she rolled a natural one. We shouldn't have trusted her. Natural one. Her dex is plus two. So she got a 13. So her 13 stealth check, um, actually, believe it or not, the um, passive perception of the harpooners is only a 10. Um, so as she drops down over the fence, the harpooners are still looking uh, kind of over in the direction of, um, of Amarok. It is the spiders that turn to face the group as their passive perception is 14. And it is... Well, it's still her turn. She sees them turn to look at her. She looks back at you guys and she raises up her gun and she's like, do I take the shot? I mean... Oh, is she like actually asking us, can we answer this? Yeah, she, she's, she's like, she's looking at you guys like, uh, whoops. Nari's just gonna shrug. Vanish, ninja, vanish. <laughs> you want her to go invisible? I, I mean, that seems like maybe the best move. If she's not there for them to like, see and track maybe with the rest of us can still can still eke by so she she kind of lowers her gun real quick grabs a crystal out of her back, backpack and she um she cracks it and she has disappeared what that means now is that you have not been detected there won't be a surprise but they don't necessarily know that you're here they know that something is going on very good. It is now these spiders' turn. So um, the spiders, the one closest to um, Dr. Sydney, comes over to investigate, and um, it is going to look around and see if it can find Dr. Sydney. Her spell DC is 16, but she's also got past that trace, so I'm, I'm, we'll just we'll uh, uh, Frankenstein this rule and just say that her 
spell DC to be detected with her invisibility is now 26. As this, um, what we're going to call a, uh, a clubber, as it uh, looks for her and plus four the 14 uh, yeah okay um this spider starts to look around and starts to kind of move around the tent um kind of approaching the uh the far side by uh by mr pine but does not seem to have detected mr pine yet as the other two spiders kind of move over closer to you guys to investigate and it is now the harpooners turn um, the harpooners have not realized that the spiders have detected anything and I'm gonna make just a random luck check actually I'm gonna have you guys um, odds they stay put evens they're going to move so somebody roll me a d20 that's a hard pass from me Ebby rolled a 15. Nice. So a 15, they stay put. Um, they are still locked in on Amarok's position, but they are not moving. Snot moving. I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> That's fine. Sometimes your snot moves, you know? <laughs> well, back to Amarok. Okay, uh, Amarok, um, because he's kind of got the telepathic link with Ebby, he knows that his diversion didn't exactly have an, an outstanding effect. So he's actually going to take, let's say that it was a, like a stick that was on the ground, like a smallish twig that he, ha he had done that light spell on. Mm -hmm. He's going to delicately kind of hug it with his forearms. Oh, that's the cutest. Yeah, and then fly towards the palisade, all the while still doing his like, Hey -o, I'm a human, <laughs> definitely a human, out here. And he's a little fox, so it's like a dog with his favorite stick. Oh, <laughs> it's adorable. Is Amarok, so uh, is the stick visible then? Is it over the side of the palisade now? Yes. Yeah, we'll have it just over that edge of the palisade. Okay. Um, two attacks are incoming at Amarok. Actually, sorry, four attacks, but they all have disadvantage. So the first attack is going to be, um, that's a 14 plus seven, that's a 21. And the second attack is going to be only a 12. The 21 will hit. Yeah, that's what, let's just go ahead. It doesn't matter, they're all, they're, they're both gonna shoot. The second one is gonna shoot um, a 17 uh, with the disadvantage and then an 18 with disadvantage. So is that three hits? Yeah, that's three. Okay. These, Good grief, um, this might be bad. Yeah, these um, harpooners, these uh, these constructs, they they hurl these spears at, um, at Amarok, or at least at the floating twig, and Amarok holding that twig can't help but get hit. And they are going to take, or he is going to take, uh, this is three times he got hit. Oh my goodness. That is going to be a total of 18 plus 20 plus 12. Um, that is going to be a total of 42 damage. No, wait. Oof. No. F uh, 40 damage. No. 50 damage. Oh, no. Holy cow. 50 damage. Or I, I don't know. What happens to Amarok? Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's enough that it immediately rips him from this plane of existence and he just ev like evaporates into a cloud of, of ethereal vapor. Oh, gosh. Okay, yeah. All of a sudden, this little twig falls to the ground. It's still lit up in that area, but Amarok, even though he was invisible, I mean, just, you know, there were four spears hurled at him, and three of them hit, and he's just gone. Uh, you feel that link. 
I don't feel I don't feel like Ebby would necessarily feel the link totally disappear, but it is definitely cloudy. It is definitely like distant at this point. Got it. Okay. Ebby, it's your turn. Uh, I mean, Ebby's Ebby's pissed. <laughs> oh goodness. The question is what to what to do about it. I think the first thing Ebby's gonna do is Yeah, I mean I might as well. I think he's going to cast Conjure Animals and summon Phobos and Deimos. Oh, we haven't seen them for so long. And we're going to drop them right kind of respectively. Let's have them actually drop next to this furthest harpooner so they can tag team that one. Two huge direwolves kind of uh, appear surrounding this one harpooner that's been blocking the staircase. And do they get their own initiative? I can't remember. They do, yeah. Let me pull up their stat block. So their initiative will be a seven. A seven. Okay, that's actually good because then they're going to still get to go before um, the other guys get to go. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Phobos and Demos are here. Anything else that Ebby is going to do? Uh, No, no, okay. not right now. Perfect. Okay, Pine. So Pine will... Uh, am I near Ebby? You're, you're very close to Ebby. Pine will whisper to Ebby, he'll say, Are they a distraction, or are we entering the fight? I think we're in this fight now. Okay. Well, then Pine is going to brandish his sword, and he will say, The frozen blade strikes fast and true, frigid aggression stance. And he's going to um, step over from behind the tent, and come up toward the harpooner. He's also pretty close to one of these clubbers, uh, but he's going to come up and take uh, his attacks against this guy. Cool. So the first attack with the Tabri Ambassador's Blade Level 3 is a 26 to hit. That will definitely hit. Unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury. I had two, the first two, so seven piercing, six cold, and on top of that, Level one smite is going to do an additional eight damage. So 21 total? Yes. Okay, cool. And then the second attack is a 17 to hit. That will hit. Okay, and the damage on the from the sword is uh, 14 piercing, three cold. And let's wow. go ahead and uh, drop another level one on there for seven additional damage. Okay, so if my math is correct, you just did 55 damage with two hits. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, boy. Show off. <laughs> and you know what? That will, that'll, I want to get through this fast. So um, without raising too much alarm. So I'll say, uh, Field Marshal, sir, I ask your aid and toss out Kenneg Zestock. That's a 25 to hit. Where is Kenneg Zestock going to go? Uh, he's going to go on the opposite side, again, attacking this, uh, the spear thrower. 25 to hit or six force damage. Nice. And that will be uh, Pine's turn. Nice round, 61 damage. Okay, very cool. All right, Phobos and Deimos are uh, a little bit further to the east and up by the staircase going into the cliff face surrounding this other harpooner. It is their turn. So let's go ahead and have Phobos on the left make an attack, I think with advantage because of pack tactics. That's correct. First roll was a seven, but the second roll was a 16. That barely hits, yes. Oh, hallelujah. Um, and does 12 damage, and then the creature will need to make a DC 13 strength save or get knocked prone. 
Okay. Uh, natural 17. So stay standing. Got it. And then Demos will go. And again, a seven. And then advantage. An eight. Oh, my gosh. I rolled a two and a three. They, they have uh, just been enjoying the life of not having to fight. They're all big and fat now. And like, just been like... <laughs> fat, lazy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are snarling and, and ripping at this, uh, at this, at this harpooner. Okay, um, Roos, it is your turn. Roos will run around the south side of this tent that he's been hiding behind and come up to the spider that's right next to Mr. Pine. Uh, Mr. Pine wasn't fighting the spider, but he is um, engaged with that spider. And I will take a strike out of that thing with my brass dagger. Let's see what this thing does. That is a 22 to hit. That will definitely hit. It's not undead, so it doesn't do that extra. It is not undead. And so I did um, six radiant damage, eight precision for um, 14 damage there. Okay. As he strikes out, the dagger doesn't actually connect with the spider, but you see a slash of like white light extend past where he's striking. And that's actually what connects with the spider dealing the damage. So straight up like Final Fantasy two and three, like just walking up and swinging a couple times and the slash appears over the enemy that you're fighting. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Cus cus. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. Nari, it is your turn. All right. Well, Nari, assuming that the clubbers are built better uh, or the harpooners are built better than the clubbers because there's less of them, is going to run up and help Pine. And she is going to attack with her axe for a 21 to hit. That'll hit. And it will do 13 damage. Okay. And then, Jesus, this guy's like really standing tall. Um, 11 to hit for the next time. That will not hit. Heck. I will actually, I think, just leave it at that for now. Okay. Sid is invisible, so you guys can't actually see where she is. I am going to um, just kind of move her around. She's doing figure eights in the parking lot. She's doing some really cool stuff, but we can't see her. The only thing that you can tell, Roos, you can tell she's no longer standing right next to you. Um, she, you can, you can hear her move past you, um, but then uh, unless you want to uh, spend your turn, your action, actually trying to perceive her, you have no clue where she is. Okay, that will bring us now to the clubbers. We finally get to see what they can do. So here is what we're going to do. I imagine it has to do with um, like EDM and glow sticks. <laughs> That's the ravers. Oh. Well, the three um, clubbers are going to rush up. One um, is rushing up to um, Pine. One is rushing up to Nari. The other one that actually uh, Roos did attack is going to turn an attack at Roos. So here is what's going to happen. We are going to have five attacks at Roos. Oh. <laughs> That's a nine, a 22, a natural 20, an eight, or sorry, a 12, and then a 22. So that's two hits and one crit. Yep. Okay. Two hits, one crit. Um, That will be nine damage from the two hits. And then the other one will be, oh, wow, max damage from the crit. 
that will be 14 more damage. So a total of 23 damage, I think, is what that is. I'm going to use my reaction to have Squire soften that blow a little bit and slow down the, the crit. Yeah, the crit. Okay. So then <laughs> only seven damage from the crit. And that means, Mr. Pine, there are now five attacks coming at you. <laughs> and what happens is these spiders, they kind of stand up on their rear legs, and then these front limbs just kind of wham, 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 just kind of start sw swatting at you. So um, here's what they got. Um, 17? Nope. 12? Nope. 14? Nope. 8? Nope. 18? No. Wow, Mr. Pine manages to, <laughs> manages to stave off all of the attacks. These guys, they get five attacks. Um, they only have a plus four to hit. But since there's so many attacks, there's a good chance that they're going to hit you at least once. Okay. Unless you have a 19 AC. Oh, well, Nari, the other one rears up to come at you. Five attacks coming your way is going to be, ooh, a crit. And then all the rest are going to miss. Okay. Nari, you are going to take uh, only 11 damage. Oh no, my shin. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us now to the harpooner's turn. Okay, um, Pine, you are right in front of this harpooner. You have two lances uh, coming at you. Does it have disadvantage because it's doing a ranged attack? This can make a ranged attack or a, uh, uh, think of this as a spear. Okay, okay. Two attacks. The first one is going to be a 20 and the second one's gonna be a 13. The 20 will hit. The 20 will hit. That is going to do 2d10 plus 4. That's going to be 19 damage to you. Ouch. Okay. Phobos and Demos, each one of them is getting an attack at them. Uh, let's see. Ooh, a crit against Phobos. And then Demos, does a 12 hit Demos? No, a 12 would not hit. Okay. So Phobos gets crit upon, which means 4d10 plus... Uh, plus four is going to be 31 damage to Phobos from one spear. Oh, Phobos man. is a good boy and still awake. <laughs> good boy, Phobos. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so these harpooners can hit pretty hard, and it looks like they can take a hit as well. Um, Ebby, you are up. Ebby is going to use his movement to go just past Roos. I think I'm 30 feet, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to actually use a bonus action cantrip to cast Misty Step and go another 30 feet. So that way I'm about here. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do two mana cannon attacks at the um, harpooners, the harpooner that's attacking Phobos and Demos. Perfect. Or that they are attacking. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so first attack is a 20 to hit. That'll hit. And deals five force damage. Okay. And then the next attack is a 14 to hit. That will miss. Okay. AC 16. Got it. Okay. Um, and that's, that is it for, for Epi. Pine, you have uh, uh, this harpooner in front of you. It looks like they, they are definitely falling apart you definitely dealt some serious damage uh to this uh this construct um, but it is still standing and obviously you can see that it can definitely um pack a punch it's your turn you've got um the harpooner straight ahead of you you've got um this clubber that uh, nari hit you've got this other clubber that attacked you um you are actually there's four targets that you can choose from readily yeah well i'll, I'll keep going with the harpooner okay and so my first attack will be 
Uh, only a 13 to hit. My second attack, that will be a 22. Okay, that'll hit. Um, so that's, oh, that's really poor damage. Seven uh, piercing, three cold. And I'll unleash with precision Swordmaster's Fury level two. Ooh. Because, yeah, why not? An additional 13 damage. So that's 23 damage total. Nice. Um, this guy has taken, uh, looks like 97 damage so far. He is definitely, definitely the worst for wear, but still standing. Jeez. I'm not done because Kenny's Estoc comes in with a 19 to hit and an additional six force damage. Okay. Huh? Eh, eh, eh. That, that was not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> okay. okay. It's still going. <laughs> <laughs> it is still going. Okay. Very good. Um, Phobos and Demos. Phobos uh, is really hurt. Demos is um, still standing strong. What are they going to do? I mean, they got to attack. So. Phobos will come in with a 22 to hit, and let me see with the advantage to see if he gets a crit. Nope, 23. Okay. And we'll deal, gosh, only eight damage on the bite attack. Um, and then it'll need to make the DC 13 strength save. Another natural 17. Good grief. Okay. And then Demos will have an attack, 24. Let's see if we can get the crit. Nope. Uh, so 24 is the roll and then the damage is gosh only six I keep uh, the reason I keep saying that is because they get a 2d6 on the attack and so they they keep rolling ones <laughs> what's the difficulty to keep from being tripped DC 13 oh, rolled a 14 so got a 15 so is still standing but it looks like these are, these are not very strong like strength wise but they can definitely take a hit all right Roos, it is your turn. Roos will strike out with his dagger again. I got a 15 to hit on that spider. That will hit the spider. Oh, oh, cool. For 11 radiant, 7 precision, for 18 damage that time. And this time he's going to use his bonus action to strike out with the chakram from his offhand. Okay, and which one are you going to attack? Because the one that you just attacked um, falls to pieces. Uh, then the one that's just next to that one uh, towards Mr. Pine. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, the one that's been attacking Mr. Pine. Sure thing. For the offhand is an 18 to hit. That will hit. For six damage. Okay, cool. And that'll be my turn. Nice. Okay. And Nari, it is your turn. All right. Nari is going to attack this mantis again. Okay. Uh, so that is a 18 to hit. That will hit. Sweet. For 14 damage. Why don't you describe what happens to this harpooner? It just, it goes up in smoke. Like it kind of glitches out and then all of a sudden crumples in on itself and just a big smoke cloud goes up. Nice. All right. Well, you've got one more attack and you've got a clubber right in front of you that's been attacking at you. And I am going to swing at that bad boy. Heck, for 13 to hit. That will not hit. I think that's all I'm going to do for now. Okay. All right. And then that brings us to the bottom of the initiative with Dr. Sydney. And you guys have no clue where she is. She is invisible and is following the last piece of advice that Mr. Pine gave her. And it looks like at this point, we have two of these constructs are down. We've got two of these spider ones left, as well as this harpooner that is surrounded by um, Phobos and Demos. 
uh, two of our friends that we haven't seen for a long time. And we're going to get back up to the top of the initiative with more spider constructs next time. All right, guys. Well, we're going to stop there for tonight. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this combat. It seems like uh, something is going on here at this ancient uh, facility, this uh, old imperial facility. And um, these scavengers are protecting something with their cannibalized constructs made out of pieces of Ebby's people. Anyway, if you like what we're doing, which you obviously do, go leave us a rating and a review. You can go check out our Patreon, join us on Discord. And um, yeah, until we get together next time, we hope you keep having a great time. <laughs>